Hi, I'm Kathy Allen. I'm Jasmine. Hi, I'm Ellen. And we have High High Expectations. Expectations. Coming up on this episode, we discuss docudramas, things we did like recently, and things we think you shouldn't believe the hype of. If you like this podcast, you should tell a friend. This podcast is telling Jasmine and Ellen, and unfortunately not Kathy Allen. What's a docudrama? Great question, Ellen. <laughs> a docudrama is what's getting a lot of people into podcasts lately. Yeah, that's true, actually. I read a comment from somebody that said they weren't into podcasts until they discovered the black tapes, which we're going to talk about today. We've both started listening to... Is it the black tapes, eh? The like black the tapes. The black tapes. Because I, I always wonder, like, is it Pixies or The Pixies? Do you ever really have that with bands? So they have, like, the in front of their name, but they're always presented with right. the. And sometimes the artwork has either of them. Yeah. Like, some the Smashing Pumpkins albums. Yeah. And some are just Smashing Pumpkins. Well, now that we're off topic, can you tell me tell everyone that thing that you told me about the name Smashing Pumpkins? Because that's amazing. Okay. If you didn't know, the name Smashing Pumpkins, <laughs> the smashing is an adjective. It's not a verb. They're Smashing Pumpkins. Oh, that's so good. Smashing so, Pumpkins. So, the black tapes. <laughs> Are the tapes an adjective? Is that an adjective or is that a verb? <laughs> oh, good. Okay, so I guess that kind of brings us into what it's about. Because they're black tapes because they're a mystery. So it's kind of like in darkness. It's like black. But also they're black because they're kind of dark and, and bad stuff. Paranormal stuff. So basically the, um, the podcast centers around a journalist who's looking into paranormal activity. I think in the first episode, she's kind of like, paranormal stuff, I'm interested in this. Is that how she gets, could she? The first episode is coincidentally about paranormal things. Oh, yeah. And the next episode is meant to be about just something other interesting things in the world. But she gets so wrapped up in the mystery of the black tapes. Yeah, and she keeps saying, like, this is just happens to be about paranormal stuff but it's not a paranormal podcast but it's totally a paranormal podcast every single episode centers around a different paranormal event that can't really be explained and then she meets this i guess you call him an academic and his basically yeah he his job is to well he set up an institute disproving any paranormal stories he's he puts out a million dollar reward for anyone. His name's... Is it Strand? Is it Jonathan Strand? Strand. Just Strand. It's the Strand Institute. Dr. Strand. Is it Dr. Dr. Strand? Strand? Yeah, I don't know what his first name is. All right, so Dr. Strand, and he's part of the Strand Institute. So he sets out to disprove any people who have theories about paranormal activity. So your story about the ghost in your classroom, he would right. he would disprove that for you. Um, or Kathy's story about how her mum knew... Her grandfather was in the room after he passed away because it smelled musty. And you also have that story about the clocks. Anyway, all of these stories that we tell ourselves, like, this is though I knew that a ghost was there. It was particularly chilly when I walked past the park opposite Ellen's house. He sets out to disprove those things, and a lot of those things have been caught on camera, hence the black tapes, because those are the cases that he doesn't have the technology yet to disprove. And they're always on tape, eh? They always come along with a... Or are they not? No, they're not. So in... In the literal explanation of what a black tape is, mm-hmm. it is literally a black VHS tape container that doesn't have a VHS tape in it. It has a DVD or other related materials to this case. It's just a convenient container. Mm-hmm. 
versus the white tapes, which are the debunked cases. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Should listen harder, Alan. <laughs> so often, often Dr. Strand will blame a paranormal event on paraphilia. It's when you see patterns and things that aren't really there, isn't it? Yeah. Um, you want to see a pattern because you want there to be a pattern or a, a connection to something that doesn't actually exist. Such yeah. as, if you don't wear a certain pair of socks that day, your sports team will lose. Right, yeah, yeah. And then that's confirmed when the sports team does lose if you don't wear said socks. Makes sense. Yeah. What is that word? Aprophenia. Aprophenia sounds about right. <laughs> if you know anything about New Zealand sporting history, you know the entire country had aprophenia. With the Red Sox? With the Red Sox in the early 2000s, I think. Yeah. <laughs> if you didn't wear the Red Sox, the ship would sink. <laughs> do, we, do you think we're like a particularly superstitious country? I'm very superstitious. I think we are, yeah. I always like bring good luck things into, like recently I did my exam, brought in a good luck thing and, and I always make wishes <laughs> and believe it will come true. <laughs> but cute, otherwise... It makes you feel good. But otherwise, I'm quite sceptical. How sceptical do you think you are on the spectrum? I am sceptical, but I do not like being called a sceptic. I'm very open to the idea that there's a lot about the universe and the world that we don't understand yet. Mm -hmm. And there can be explanations for things that at the moment are classed as being nonsense. Me too, yeah. But in the future, we may realise they were describing something that we didn't know I have a word for yet, but that was related to that. Mm. So we're both like really shitty strands, in other words. Like we're not. Yeah. We're 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 kind of skeptical, but not to the extent that he is. The journalist is kind of like really, really open to the point where you can't really get if she believes in the stuff or if she doesn't. And I think she believes and wants to believe in paranormal activity, but she doesn't want people to think she's crazy. From the episodes that I've heard, I've only heard the first two episodes of the black tapes. Yeah. At the moment, I get the impression that she's more excited about proving Strand wrong yeah. and there being paranormal activity. Oh, I see. Okay. Interesting interpretation. But it's a very well-made podcast. Mm. And it sounds very real. Yes. Because we, we both listen to podcasts such as This American Life, yeah. where the presentation is radio style. Because This American Life is a radio show. Yeah. And all of the stories are true, aren't they, mostly? Or sometimes they read out short stories. Yeah, but they're mostly true. Mostly true stories. And so this podcast is presented as if it is a podcast from a real-life radio show, essentially. Mm-hmm. They even tell you to um, stay with us. Yeah. It's very This American Life-y. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot like Serial as well. I think they even use similar music to Serial, because Serial's always playing music over it, and that's the same as Black Books. And I binge-listened to Black Books in a week. Black tapes, sorry. Black books. That's <gasps> embarrassing. Can you edit that out? Editor's note. No. Let's keep it rolling. No! I'm going to make it like a dub style song. It's going to be black books. Black books. Black books. <laughs> no! Oh, my career in podcasts is over. Like so that the word's different. It's going to be black cocks. Black cocks. Black, black, black cocks. <laughs> What if I just spent the rest of the episode talking about black tapes but saying black cocks instead? <laughs> like, not correcting myself. See, now you've said black cocks, so I can edit that in as being black cocks. <laughs> I fell into your trap. Do you also, like, ever accidentally say cock porn instead of popcorn? I never have. 
That's called a spoonerism for anyone who doesn't know. A spoonerism is when you mix up this, you're saying two words and then you mix up the sounds of the words. So Alan Walker would be Wellen Walker. <laughs> it was not a good example. <laughs> spoonerisms. It's a word. And also I wanted to educate you all because when I was younger, people said, that's not a word. You made that up. And I was like, no, it's a real word. Look it up. And they were like, no, it's not a real word. You made it up. Which still annoys me to this day. It's a real word. <laughs> Have we explained it enough? Yeah. A docudrama is like an old-timey radio show. <laughs> but it's in podcast form. <laughs> and it sounds real. It's not done like in a comedic fashion. It's done totally straight-faced. Yeah. Totally. Right. Hence the drama. Drama. Docudrama. Docu, like it's like a mockumentary, but not. Film. But without, it's like a mockumentary, <laughs> but without the mock. <laughs> and it makes you kind of zone out when you're listening, and your your brain gets tricked into thinking this is actually a real thing, and it's real people talking. Suspended talk, sense of disbelief. They talk so naturally, and they often, and all the ones I've listened to, often deal with supernatural elements or sci-fi. They're they're always like taking on things that wouldn't happen in real life. They're never like fictional crime stories or anything like that that could actually happen. They're not speculative in that sense. No. They're always um, well they always seem to be science fiction or fantasy. That's kind of the history of these kind of shows like Orson Welles <laughs> War of the Worlds radio docudrama because I went, you know this everybody. Did trick everybody. I was going to talk about that story and um, how everybody ran out of their houses and were terrified because they thought aliens were going to invade because they heard it over the radio. Which must have been such an interesting time to live. Would have been. <laughs> you know? Everything's radio. <laughs> and also, everything is scary and could be real. Like, you just... Yeah. I, I feel as um, people, we're more sceptical now and we're like, oh, that could be fake, that could be photoshopped. But there was a time which everything was shocking. Um... And, yeah, so everything you heard over the radio could have been real. And it always reminds me of my parents say, like, how scary The Exorcist was. Or aliens, when they saw it in the cinema, and how it actually shocked them and made them, like, scream. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) And, yeah, but anyway, so you can still find entertainment in these things, because you can suspend your sense of disbelief, and it's done in such a believable way these docudramas. So what other docudramas are there? Well, the ones we've listened to. If anyone has any other recommendations, by the way, we're open to them. Yeah, email us at highexpectationspodcast at gmail.com. <laughs> you are listening to High Expectations Podcast. Keep it locked in. The message, which you introduced me to. I really enjoyed the message. I really liked the message too. I got really lost. <laughs> I'm just going to be real. You did have to pay attention to the message. Yeah. And as, as you do with this one, and I... I've obviously missed a lot of the content because you were like telling me about it today and I was like no, I binged this in a week I can't remember lots of different stuff that happened um, the back tapes one and what's the other one it's a Limetown I also listened to really quickly and it was really good so I haven't heard Limetown but yeah. I've, heard, I've heard it mentioned a lot yeah and I've like almost checked it out sometimes but always backed out so sell me on it Limetown is very similar to Black Tapes except Black Tapes every episode centers around a different unsolved case so you get heaps of different stories woven in, whereas Limetown is just one big mystery. And it's a mystery about a town that suddenly disappeared. And she starts to, um, the journalist that's following it, the reporter, who 
is not really sure why, but she has this kind of calling to get into all of this, and that becomes revealed over time. It, it definitely has that whole serial aspect, that mystery being revealed very slowly, and those cliffhanger moments that make you go, oh my god, and it's also really scary, because they're following her, and that's scary. So, so she's trying to figure out why everyone in this town disappeared, and there's also those sci-fi elements again, and a huge conspiracy that slowly becomes revealed throughout the episodes and is quite satisfyingly revealed by the end of the series. Don't want an unsatisfying reveal. No. Well, that's what I was going to say about these docudramas in comparison to Serial, because I listened to the first series of Serial, which I don't necessarily recommend for you because it is a big investment, but it is good. So it follows a real-life court case about a man who's been in jail for 15 years because he was suspected to have murdered his ex-girlfriend. And they're revisiting the case, yeah, 15 years later. The thing about Serial, I mean, it is a spoiler to say this, but I'm sorry, spoilers coming up. Um, it's, Serial's it, like two years old now at this point, isn't it? I don't think it's like a year old, but um, you, people could go back and visit that. People could do that. Yeah, so it's not satisfactorily resolved, which is pretty obvious because it was a major case. Yeah, it's like any TV documentary about a mystery or a crime. Mm-hmm. They, they can't tell you what happened because it's not known for sure. They, I, they just spend a whole hour speculating. Yeah. Which can be fascinating in and of itself, you know. Like, I've gotten really into JFK conspiracies. Would recommend. There's so many of them and they're really fascinating and all of them convincing, which is odd. But that's the thing I think that's really appealing about fictionalized docu- docudramas because we do want that satisfying... Uh, um, we have that urge to have that satisfying ending. And these can actually provide that for us. And they have these huge cliffhangers. I have just listened to the third episode of the second series. And not to spoil anything. But oh my god, it was crazy. And then I just finished all of it within the space of a week. And then I realised I had to wait two weeks like everyone else. Like every normal person. And it was really hard to take. <laughs> <laughs> like this is really exciting. Like actual really exciting things happen. It is, yeah, it's just like a drama, but it has the same aspect as those serial shows, but with satisfying endings. But does that make it less believable? I don't think so. Because you remember from the message, there was that big reveal. The message had some good twists. I think the message was very believable until the last episode. Yeah. That's what Just like the the first episode of of True Detective. (laughs) The first series, sorry. you have a sense of you suspend your sense of disbelief when you listen to these podcasts yeah and when they suddenly cross the line between believably unbelievable Mm. to just unbelievable yeah it breaks a spell it's a very delicate balance i think and endings are hard in general so yeah it would be probably the hardest part of constructing a story but also with these docudrama things it's not like there's lots of different threads of narrative going on or it could go in many different directions it's all very much motivated by this end point so you'd think they'd really think through what's going to happen in the end and then from there build their plot right right but you know it's it's, it's the journey not the destination so shall we start with things we rate people should get into this maybe this is thing. Yeah. What do you what did you like this week? This last week. In the last time period. 
I've been on record on this podcast about hating musicals. <laughs> but I've also been on record about liking songs and movies if they're in context. I found the perfect movie called God Help the Girl. It's a British independent romantic drama. The plot is recovering anorexic, escapes the recovery center, meets a boy one night who's in a band. She makes friends with him. They make some songs. They meet another woman, played by Hannah Murray. They make some songs, they form a band, and they sing songs in the film. Sometimes slightly fantasy-like in what the, sh- the thing is showing, but the opening scene of the film is the protagonist walking along singing a song out loud. And I thought, oh no, I've been tricked into watching a musical. The tra- trailer didn't indicate it was a musical at all. But it's very apparent that the song she's singing is just in her head, and no one else knows that she's singing out loud because she's not. Ah, okay. So all the slightly surreal things that happen in the performances are also in their heads. Her dream sequences. It's a really good film. Nice, brightly lit, quirky British accents. Great outfits. Nice. Just a real fun film. The kind of film I like because there's no real big adversary to get over. It's just a nice little British romp. Cool. 10 out of 10. I give it a 10 out of 10 for a musical. Right, thanks. So, things I recommend this week. I recommend if you had a big lunch, just get a salad at a restaurant. I, I never would have done it before now, but last the other day, I went to a restaurant, a fancy Italian restaurant, and I had a salad. And the salad was really good. And then on the side, I had chips because I wanted chips. And I rate that because, like, just eating the food that you want. Sometimes you just want a side when you go to a restaurant. So, yeah, have something smaller and then just have that side. Or just have sides if that's what you want. Yeah, have the chips. Getting all your laundry done is so satisfying. On the the week before last, I just did, like, a lot of laundry. I know that's boring, but, oh my god, getting all your cleaning done is the best feeling. But it's never done. (laughs) There's always more laundry. There's always, and that's really terrifying to me. Do you recommend that book you're reading for book club? Or the last book you read? The last book I read is Pride and Prejudice. (laughs) Which everybody should read. Everybody should read, and I feel like I was the last person in the world to read Pride and Prejudice. You would definitely not, because 50% of the population are men. And from my understanding, I've only ever met one man who likes Austen. I've never met a man other than that who likes Austen. Have you? I don't know. I don't ask many men if they read Austen. Do. It's so fascinating. They always have quite strong opinions as well. I really enjoyed Pride and Prejudice. I felt that it was really well written, despite being quite old-timey English. One of the women... It's told that she has to go expose herself in public <laughs> in order to be, like, accepted by people. And I thought that was hilarious. Which would mean something very different now. But, so the English is slightly old-timey. Yeah. So it, at first it was a little bit distracting. <clears throat> yeah. But then it was okay. And I really got into the story. It's quite a delicate story. Maybe drags a little bit in some places, but... <laughs> How about we turn about the room, Elizabeth? <laughs> But it is a satisfying ending, sure. It's like it's it is just it's just the classic love story, isn't it? It's the it's the Benedict and Beatrice. And do you know Much Do About Nothing by Shakespeare? No. There's this okay, so Benedict uh sorry, Much Do About Nothing is actually a play I actually don't really rate Much Do About Nothing if you want to talk about Shakespeare plays, but Kathy was in it once and she played a great hero. Anyway, Hero is the main heroine of the main female protagonist of 
much do about nothing and then I think I can't remember the name of the guy she's up against who cares but anyway it's based around a love story that's very straightforward it's love at first sight and very superficial but the real stars of much do about nothing are Benedict and Beatrice because they have this like quick fire relationship with each other where they're always ripping on each other and they're like ruthless and apparently in Shakespearean languages all these jokes and having a small dick and (laughs) apparently they have had sex before the play is set I'm not sure about that which is like Elizabethan time. Isn't that crazy? Shocking. So it's interesting that like in Shakespeare, that was that's, um, premarital sex is often the subject, whereas in Austen, that would never happen. Never happens. Basically, <laughs> people will, will get married, will get engaged at the drop of a hat. They make eyes at each other and they meet once and then it's like, would you like to marry me? Yeah. It's a very, very innocent romances. If I was to sum up Pride and Prejudice in a sentence, it would basically be um, Elizabeth is expected to marry somebody for money, but she doesn't She doesn't think that's a good reason to get married to somebody. That's what I think Pride and Prejudice is really about. She thinks that you should actually love someone. Well, you should actually connect with somebody. There should be so much more to a marriage, and, and that's what makes her character so likeable. That's why Absolutely. She... we all want to be Lizzie Bennett, but we never will be. There's this really good article online, and it's like, which Austin character are you? And you click on it, and it's like, you were not Elizabeth Bennett. You will never be Elizabeth <laughs> Bennett. You never were. You just suck, and you just sit around, and you think you're Elizabeth Bennett, but nobody sees you as Elizabeth Bennett. And it goes on like that. And wow. it was quite hard to read, because I thought I was the Elizabeth Bennett. Yeah, if you want to be Elizabeth Bennett, you have to really about assess your future mother-in-law. Um... <laughs> uh... Aunt-in-law? I found it quite... <laughs> I found it quite shocking that... <clears throat> Is that Catherine Jane. Lady de Burgh or something? Oh, yeah. She was... She's a real hard-ass. She's um, Darcy's aunt, yeah. I think. Yeah. I found it quite shocking that Jane, after her potential romance, took a pause, I guess. She was 23, I believe, and she was basically thought that she was now going to be a spinster forever. Yes. Yep. She would never find love again because yep. there would no other men. Yeah, because once you get past 23, you're like damaged goods. Actually, damaged goods. Elizabeth's friend who gets married to Collins, is it Charlotte? Yes. She's 27. Wow. Which might make more sense in the context of why she goes for Collins and why Elizabeth eventually forgives her for that because she says, you know, come on, I'm, I'm old. She's old. I'm old. I've got to get married. I've got to yeah. have kids. And at the end, she's pregnant. Did you know that? Don't remember that. Yeah. Oh, there's a letter that's written by Collins, and it's it's very flowery language. So that's what we were talking about before. It's like flowery language, and some of the plot gets lost in that. Yeah. But they're pre- she's pregnant. She's really excited. <laughs> I think what bothers me most about it is some of the language in the book. Mm-hmm. Either it's mentioned things or it's really vague, and that you wait in the whole book for Elizabeth and Mr. Darcy to actually finally get together. And when they finally do... A vague sentence. It's like that, and they talk, and they got engaged. In fact, they don't even say they got engaged. It's yeah, but that's so. <laughs> I want to hear what Elizabeth finally said to Mr. Darcy because even on the box she rips him a new one. What an awful man he is. Yeah. And when she finally loves him, you don't get to read. Well, that's where they have film adaptations. There's a lot of creative license, like the Kira Knightley version. I have to watch one of these. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, the BBC version is very unsatisfying for that. It's just like, oh, do you want to know what happens at the end? Like, how they interpret that? They have a double wedding. Jane and Bingley and Darcy Uh, and Elizabeth have a double wedding, and it's so disgusting. (laughs) 
Actually, that's the same in Bride and Prejudice, which you will never see because it's a musical. But True. Bride and Prejudice is one of my favorite adaptations of Pride and Prejudice. I would, re- I'd rate, I rate that. I'd recommend that. I didn't see that in the last week, but I've seen it about a thousand times. And if I see a movie a thousand times, that means I really like it. <laughs> I really liked Carol. It was really good. It was good. Oh, it was really well filmed. And they and they were such good actresses, and they were always staring at each other, and the camera really held that really well. And there was such a great tension, and as you said, it was it was a great build up. Awesome slow burn. Awesome slow Very burn. Very realistic, I felt. I it's also it's I feel like it's maybe this is just my mind trying to make like an us and them thing or like an other thing, but I feel like queer films always have that like often have that slow burn if it's between two women and it's really convincing and I don't find it in the same they way do. in romantic comedies it's always like will they won't they you know it's it's not like this it's not like they want each other but when is it going to happen exactly. when and the, and from the get go from the moment that Therese sees Carol you're like when are they going to bang and then that's just the rest of the yeah. film just you waiting for it because you want it <laughs> so Carol Carol was described by Autostraddle as what was it the best lesbian film ever or the most realistic lesbian film? I think it was the best lesbian film of all time. I think they thought it was the best, just the best. Yeah, it was uh, really good. To be fair, there's a lot of crap lesbian films, like yeah. queer films. I I can't actually. I'm not gonna say queer films because there seems to be a lot of great films about male relationships and and some good queer films, but a lot of like lesbian films, if we'll put it that way. Not good. <laughs> yeah. Carol was set in what the nineteen sixties. I mean, I think so. Nineteen sixties. Oh, again, maybe amazing 50, outfits. Maybe fifties at, at earliest, but I think sixties. We definitely write films with good outfits. Great outfits, great hair, and because it was set in such a conservative time, the slow burn nature really had to be a slow burn. Yeah, and yeah, that really, really worked. Well, there's yeah. no like modern movie where you have like a a drunken hookup and then the slow burn starts yeah a lot of like new rom-coms start with like they've dr- they had a drunken hookup yeah will they get <sighs> i found carol really relatable actually <laughs> yeah i agree chemistry that's what they had when they did yeah, have chemistry they had incredible chemistry so much more chemistry than the other movie we saw yeah free held yeah held free held which is again one of those like oh Queer movies that are about, yay, the triumphs of the movement. And it's like, Based on a true story, but poorly cast. Yeah. There was no chemistry. I, I didn't like the story either, to be honest. Most of it was set in a courtroom. Like, when I see these films, I want I want something relatable. I want something interesting. I want something juicy. Like, Carol. Carol is all about these two people and they had to overcome adversity to be together. So there was that element of, this is how hard things have been in the past for queer people. Yeah. But great love story. That's what I want to see. I don't want to see some, like, stupid overcoming justice thing. It's a great, it's a great event. Don't get me wrong. It would have been a great documentary. It would have. <laughs> now, if you're playing High Expectations Bingo, now you can mark off the square sign bisexual, because I have a question. Did you feel <laughs> that Carol is bisexual, or was she a very closeted lesbian who married a man against her will? Oh. Because um, she's had an affair with another woman. Yes, she has. I think that perhaps, um, if you really want to get into it, well, I think maybe absolute speculation. But I think romantically she did love her husband. But I think perhaps so. sexually she's more attracted to women. I would agree with that. So maybe she is a closeted lesbian who 
I don't know, maybe she's bi-romantic. Yeah, it's never, but... it's never explicitly stated, I don't think. Yeah, but there is, there is kind of like this, the breakup isn't kind of like a loveless marriage. It definitely appears that there is love there and care and affection. Yeah. Especially from his end, but he's possessive and unhealthy about it. But she seems to care about him and care about him not having a, a bad life. I think that she's like this is the way that I am but I don't I don't want to have it at the expense of your happiness exactly she yeah. seems quite confident in her sexuality she seems quite confident full stop <laughs> she knows what she wants and she'll get it <laughs> so don't believe the hype don't we believe the hype let's talk about things that we had high expectations about <laughs> that ultimately kind of sucked um, so, what's up with entrees? Just want to say. What's up with entrees? I feel like I want, like, a proper portion size, and I don't want to have to, like, because what they do with entrees, I understand, is that they have them be a smaller portion, but have them be quite expensive, so they're not good value for money, right? That's what someone told me. Right. So, I mean, I like the idea of having lots of little things to eat, like, tapas appeals to me sometimes when I'm in the right mood. As long as there's a lot of them, because I don't like food when you can't have a lot of it and you can't get full. Oh yeah, and tuppers have to be even numbers on the plate. Don't give me a sharing plate with an odd number of things on it. Oh my god, that would drive me crazy. It happens all the time, and it's a trick to make you order two lots of that tuppers so that you get an even number. Oh. Why, why do they always try to trick us out of money? Like today, we're regular customers at this Vietnamese place. And Miss V's, it's really good. That's something that I recommend from today. And Kathy always goes there and gets rice paper rolls. And today, for free, she just gave us this, like, rice dessert. So the idea is we're like, we try it, we say it's delicious, and we go back and we buy it next time. Exactly. Nothing is for free. Yeah, I don't really dig entrees that much. But I do dig sides. I like sides. I always like adding a little bit extra to my meal. Like, bacon, guacamole, kamami. But that's where they get your money as well. It is. <laughs> I think entrees play on the fallacy that if you order an entree, you'll get food quicker and won't be as hungry so that you can enjoy your main meal when you're not like starving, like wolfing it down. Oh, I see, yeah. But you don't get it any quicker because if you just ordered a main, it would probably come at the same When the entree comes out. That's why I always want to order the main and not, you know, deal with this entree stuff. Also, yeah. it costs too much money when you're having like your drinks, your entree your dinner and maybe your dessert that's too much way too much i met someone once that has their dessert first what do you think of that their theory it's like the fuck first theory except with dessert yeah. well i i, I <laughs> fuck first with dessert before how do you feel about fucking first with dessert <laughs> i think it can be really good because if you really want the dessert i like chasing sweetness with savory yeah so i, I can then walk out of the restaurant with a nice savory kind of feeling rather than like i've had too much sweetness um also i actually recommend just having dessert for dinner and having breakfast for dinner breakfast for dinner Love is, breakfast is for awesome dinner. but people don't read it because you know breakfast is kind of traditionally quite carby because you burn it off and it kickstarts your metabolism for the day and then yes. if you eat breakfast for dinner then you go to sleep on all those carbs you don't burn them off but every so often it's so great to have breakfast for dinner what about dessert for breakfast Oh yeah, I could eat. I could eat sugar all day, every day. I, nothing stops me. People always say things like, you know, don't have sugar first thing in the morning. Don't have chocolate first thing in the morning. I'm like, nah, it's cracking. I'm like, dude, 
that way you know you've eaten it you can get rid of it during the day yeah totally rather yeah. than you're stagnant at night isn't that what some celebrities do they eat all the crappy sweet stuff they want to eat in the morning so they can burn it off it's the hot Hollywood celebrity diet <laughs> I don't know if like, it shouldn't be encouraging people to eat sweet stuff because anything a celebrity does becomes a fad. Um, I don't know. I don't know if that stuff's ever good for you. <laughs> Doesn't matter what type of day it is, okay, and it gives wait. you that sugar energy spike, doesn't it? it? Makes you crash. Yeah. Speaking of restaurants, and don't believe the hype. Don't believe the hype on sushi train restaurants. <gasps> Jasmine. Why? You so you had sushi train for the first time. Sushi day. train for the first time. I was with Alan, in fact, and. I feel like for the price they charge per dish, yeah, the sushi is not good enough. No, I actually have better sushi from one of those like pack your own sushi places. Me too. Yeah, much better value. Yeah, because you look at this plate's going to cost, and they move quite quickly, so you have to decide really quickly if you want it or not. Yeah, and they're kind of a bit boring. Maybe in Japan they're actually much better. Probably. Yeah. Everything's better in Japan. It's like they give out really generic, bland dishes as you train so that you're more likely to get them rather than like wasting their time on more exotic ones, perhaps. Or maybe all the cheap ones that we go for are really bland and boring, but if you pay for the more expensive dishes, you might get more exciting things. Yeah, I think that the more expensive dishes were more expensive fish and then caviar and there was just like gold you could take home with you on it and no I'm kidding. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, but also a, a, a kind of a bad way to have a restaurant experience with somebody because there's a constant distraction of the food going right in front of your face. You, you're sitting next to someone rather than facing them or talking. Yeah. And someone could be talking, but suddenly you're like trying to do some math in your head, like, what colour is that plate? Is that a cheap one? Should I reach that? Should I buy that? And you kind of miss the conversation. So don't go to Sushi Train ever, according to Jaslyn, but definitely don't go there on a first date. Don't go there on a first date. Don't rate Crocodile Bites there. So Crocodile Bikes, for those that don't live in Wellington, are a tourist attraction, or I'm a board on the, on the waterfront attraction, where you ride a four-person pedal bike. <laughs> Looks like a crocodile. It's bright green and has some crocodile-type decorations on it. Yeah. And they call crocodile bikes. You hire it out for a half an hour or so, ride up and down the waterfront, getting in people's way, driving erratically, <laughs> feeling really self-conscious about the fact that everyone's looking at you riding this crocodile bike. But I think that they're really quite embarrassing to drive. I've never gone back for a second time. <laughs> Don't believe the hype about crocodile bikes. No, I've never done it. No, so I can't contribute at all to this conversation. Oh, what's Coming something? up on the next episode, Alan and Kathy Allen ride a crocodile bike. Uh, yeah, possibly, yeah. We can ride a crocodile bike. Oh my god, that's going to be a disaster. I think I'll do the driving. What do you think? Don't believe the hype on like bands at Laneway. Is there any, any bands you'd be like, don't believe the hype? Don't believe the hype on dive <laughs> and leisure and also there's a lot of hype around leisure don't believe the hype on health <gasps> she did she just I said that. it I think health are quite popular aren't they I don't know we're going to rip into laneway at the moment maybe, maybe we don't, I don't know. <laughs> here's the thing about music festivals can you not people can you just not? All those things you're doing. Standing on my toes while you jump up and down. Yeah. Please don't. 
bashing your bag into me. Please don't. Saying mean things to me. Just don't. Be considerate for other people at music festivals. Go as fan. And if you don't like the band that's on stage right now, leave the stage. Leave the stage. And don't talk during it. Don't smoke during it into my face. Yeah. There's plenty of areas where you can smoke and do, it's not in my face. Yeah, do not smoke in a crowd. It's really rude. I understand you can't help farting in the crowd, but you can't help smoking. But the biggest crime of all, do not get on your boyfriend's shoulders <gasps> in a crowd. You have no idea how many people are angry at you when you do that. That's like an extreme crowd cli- crime. What would that be like? That's like criminal. It's like murder. That's, like, that's murder. You are blocking in, in the, in the, the crowd world. And the, the petty crime is singing along to the music because I paid to hear the band sing along to the music, not you. Yeah. So that's like that's like petty theft right there. Don't don't steal my listening experience. Yeah, unless the artist has specifically said, "Please sing along with me on this one." Yeah, shut up. Or you can mouth the words. I'm totally yeah, after people lip syncing. That's cool. I get I lip sync or I, I sing really quietly to myself because you're really excited because you know all the yeah. words. Don't sing though. I, I I paid to hear them sing. People know that you're a fan because you're there. You don't have to prove that you know all the words because you're the real fan. <laughs> I mean, get off, don't get on people's shoulders. No one is impressed with you. No one is impressed with you. Ah, oh, oh, ah. Oh, like, like... I'm hyping up the crowd. Everyone loves them on someone's shoulders. No, people want to stab you in the back. I think it's because it's on ads sometimes where people get on people's shoulders. That's why people always do that. It's, it's, true. it's annoying. And there's like a small like gap in time in which people think it's a cool thing to do, not just a really, really annoying thing to do. And then they get over it. But there's always going to be those people. There's always going to be that people in that like gap in their life where they think it's a cool thing to do, not a dumb thing to do. We're just never going to be away from the crime of being on someone else's shoulders. I'm not okay with that. There's lots we could say about Laneway, but I don't think we really have time to. <laughs> I just want to say don't be annoying in the crowd. That was my yeah, number one thing I'm going to be in the crowd. Be considerate. Yeah. And actually, hugs not drugs. Because I know that, like, you know, whatever, your business is your business. But, like, if you've gone and you've paid a lot of money for an event, everyone around you has gone and paid a lot of money for an event, don't take drugs. Because you're not going to enjoy it. You're not going to be present. And you're just going to be, like, wandering around, bashing into people, like, just being unpredictable and maybe even violent. I'm, yeah, I don't encourage drug use at all at music festivals. I know those two things go hand in hand, but they really shouldn't. It is. Just like crowd courtesy. If you're going to, don't push into a crowd, but if you're moving into a gap that's there, know who you're moving through. Don't barge your way through couples that are like standing next to each other. Yeah. Or pretend to be meeting a friend and you say, stop and block everyone's views. (laughs) If you're really tall... Maybe don't walk in and stand in front of someone who's really short. That's the one. It's very rude. Be aware <laughs> of who's behind you. In the, I don't know, 90s, early 2000s, there was a big push in the movie world to have found footage movies. Yeah. The found footage movies are better when they seem completely believable because all the footage is contained in a small area. Something like Cloverfield is about a massive monster destroying a city. Yeah. So you know that didn't happen. Yeah. But you can suspend belief in that the Blair Witch Project was real kids. Seeing some weird shit in a forest. You can believe that in the Paranormal Activity movies, maybe someone did get thrown around a room. Scary. Yeah. But you know a massive monster didn't destroy a big city. (laughs) 
Yeah, that's it's the same point. thing with I these docudramas. That movie was not good. I saw it. Yeah, it wasn't good. <laughs> but the docudramas are great as long as they seem based in reality the whole time. If there was something like, an alien attack, you know that didn't happen. Yeah. So that's when the spell was broken. Okay, that's an interesting point. But they, but like we were saying, they're all based around science fiction stories. So do you mean like, you know that didn't happen, or you know that couldn't happen? I guess I know that it didn't happen, because these are all set in the past, because the presenters being reporting. Yeah. So it has to be plausible content, which sci- science fiction can be. So did you think the message didn't plausible. pull that off? It's more a sense of like, in, in that it could happen if these things were possible. The message could could pull it off if it was a more contained story. Okay, so because they shut down the whole, sorry, revealing spoilers. Well, they do they do massive things like they shut down and quarantine the lab. So you're saying like we don't, That's we didn't fine. know that It's totally plausible. Yeah, but no massive cities worldwide were quarantined. Yeah, no, I I still like that kind of thing though because it makes for a good story. Yeah, but it breaks the fake reporting spell okay so that yeah so that's like a really fragile thing then if that's what you think is important about it well then i guess the black tapes in that sense works better because they could be discovering all of these things overseas and you just haven't discovered it like there's so many things online of random mysteries unsolved and so that works like that one i i did recently oh did you tell me about it as well um there's like a whole subreddit dedicated to it that that woman and they couldn't figure out if she had drowned in the the water. It's a true story. There's found footage. Oh great. <laughs> of a woman in an elevator doing behaving really strangely. Going in and out and looking like she's been oh, hiding seen that for footage. somebody. Yeah. yeah. So if you get into that you can just go down this whole rabbit hole of conspiracy about what happened. Okay. Because all we have is is that tape and information that she then died in the what's it called it's like a water tower she she somehow managed to be found drowned in a water tower okay and no one's sure how she got there their video is really spooky and it's like video is really scary and it's real real. and it's real yeah yeah it's totally you can look her up and and she definitely well i mean maybe it's like a huge convincing conspiracy but i'm pretty sure that's actual police evidence but then then again why would they release that such fragile yeah Interesting. Yeah. It, it makes it so makes much more entertaining. Because you're like, is this real? <laughs> you can't decide if you if you're, if you're suspending your belief to believe it or if it is actually believable because it's done so well. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. That's what I like in my radio shows. <laughs> my docudramas. Okay. Well, don't know how you feel about Limetown then. Because <laughs> Limetown starts off being a story about a town of people that disappeared. So you know that didn't happen from the get go. Well, if I go into Limetown knowing that it is a, that's the kind of story it is, that's fine. Okay. But if it starts off trying to be totally 100% believable, mm-hmm. then it has to stay within that range the whole time, I feel. Yeah, and the message could have done that, now that I think of it. Because it could have been this whole conspiracy that got covered up, you know, like a Roswell type exactly. thing. But they, they could have avoided that by avoiding the whole quarantine bit. Yeah, keep it really insular and small yeah i guess the idea was that they were trying to raise the stakes all the time well okay so basically a disease breaks out so they quarantine the lab 
so everyone knows what I'm talking about, in the message. They're trying to figure out how people keep getting sick. The message is a confirmed message of our alien origin. And no one knows what it says, no one knows what it means, but people who hear it supposedly get sick. And then they follow the story again of a reporter who is recording it, which is also kind of tricky because it all seems like classified information. And most of the message is talking about how, oh, how can you let me record all of this classified information? And they're like, people need to know. It's like, hmm, that's do a bit, <laughs> yeah, one, do they? Like, people would freak out. I just don't think that's the sort of thing that would be recorded and made public. So that in and of itself isn't very believable. So maybe we actually um, don't like the message that much. <laughs> I love the concept of the message. Ultimately, I like listening to it a lot. Ultimately, I felt like it was the execution in the end was not good. Final thoughts on docudramas? I think docudramas are good. You should try out Black Tapes, Limetown, and The Message, and tell us what you think, and tell us if we're completely wrong about The Message. But yeah, I highly recommend Limetown and The Black Tapes. And The Message. And The Message. Why not? That as well. <laughs> and tell us any other ones that you know of, and we'll listen to them as well. Thanks so much for listening. If you have any comments or questions, please send them through to highexpectationspodcast at gmail.com. Check us out on SoundCloud, iTunes, Pocket Casts, or wherever you enjoy podcasts. See our Facebook page for details at High Expectations Podcast or on Twitter at High X Podcast. Have a great week. Bum, bum. I can do my best Kathy impression. Yeah. Coming up on this episode. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Today's a part of Kathy Allen. We were played by Alan. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>